Welcome in to another new podcast from the Association for Materials Protection and Performance. My name is Ben Dubose, and I'm a staff writer with the AMP Publications team. So one of the things we typically do on this podcast series is explore the ongoing transition from NACE International and SSPC, the Society for Protective Coatings, to our new world within AMP. And in doing so, we like to spotlight various teams that are successfully going through that process. One of those areas involves our technical exchange groups, or TEGs, to discuss one of those, specifically TEG 532X, in greater detail. Today, we've got Buddy Reams, Chief Technical Officer for AMP, Johnny Eliason, Hull and Coatings Engineer at Chevron Shipping, and Elizabeth Charmley, a longtime naval architect for one of the world's largest ship managers. These folks are all part of, again, TEG 532X, which is a technical exchange group that was started about three years ago to look into ship hull fouling, anti-fouling methods, aquatic invasive species, all of those very hot topics within the shipping community and especially with the International Maritime Organization. Before we get into that group, though, and the progress that it's made, I want to give each of our participants a chance to tell you a little bit more about themselves, their background, and what their area of industry expertise is as it pertains to corrosion, maritime, all the various areas that we've been discussing. So, Buddy, let's start with you. Hi, uh, good uh, good morning, Ben. Thanks. Uh, thank you. Um, my name is Buddy Reams. Actually, I've, I've been, I started with NACE five years ago, and prior to that, I was a, really a marine safety engineer for the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, my, my training is in naval architecture and marine engineering. Um, and my focus for the better part of 24 to 25 years was on commercial shipping safety. My name is Elizabeth Charmley. Um, I'm a naval architect and I've been working for over 10 years now for the world's largest container ship manager, providing technical support for a fleet of 112 container ships. Some of that work is office-based. Uh, for example, a lot of it is working to optimize the energy efficiency of ships, meaning to reduce the fuel consumption. Um, we do this through operational support or investigating new technologies and then rolling out pilot projects, which, if determined effective, can be scaled to the whole fleet. Or I also do a lot of work on site in dry dock for ship structural repairs and also hull surface maintenance and repair. My name is Johnny Eliasson. I fell into this industry back in what feels like Stone Age now. <laughs> uh, I'm obviously a chemist since I work with shipping. So, uh, my passion has been for our ships and our seafarers, and as Buddy said, safety and to improve our environmental footprints. And that has been uh, with me all my life. So the way we're going to conduct this discussion today is through multiple perspectives. Buddy, of course, is a higher up within AMP, so we'll have that perspective as far as the industry organization. And then as far as Johnny and Elizabeth, they provide expertise from within the industry itself and feedback from sort of seeing how some of these things play out in the field, if you will. So I think a good place to start would be with Buddy to give a little bit more background as far as the technical exchange group that we're going to be discussing today, which is TEG 532X. I mentioned earlier that it has to do with ship hull fouling, anti-fouling methods, aquatic invasive species. What specifically was this group set up to do, Buddy? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, it was shortly after, I would probably say about a year after I had started with then NACE, um, and, and my role was to really kind of help tie in the organization with the maritime industry. And, uh, and I remember reading an article on 
the new uh, remote type of cleaning systems that we're going to be looked at using for uh, shipped hulls and having a conversation with Johnny saying, hey, was there, is there a possibility that this could have an impact on, you know, coating performance? And, uh, and really, what really that spurred was the creation of TEG532X as a platform for not just our members uh, to participate, but really to bring in stakeholders from across the industry um, as a platform to talk about things. And, and I'm sure you'll hear um, the, the diversity of topics that started in that dialogue was uh, really eye-opening and, and surprising. So as far as Johnny and Elizabeth, what moved you all to participate with this group, TEG532X? Why was it worthy of your time? And Johnny, we can start with you this time. When I looked at the goals of IMO and the necessary changes that has to happen over the next 10, 15 years to make a significant change, and I took a look at all the various organizations that all in good faith worked hard to find solutions in styluses around the world. Mm -hmm. It came to me that all these people based on due diligence using everything they know would all come up with different solutions. Mm -hmm. And this could cause a delay in the, let's say, sensible solutions. So by creating a forum where these different organizations, all good people, could verbiate and explain what they were working on and at a minimum listen to what other people were talking about, by opening up the conversation and listening between the silos, hopefully out of that, a greater knowledge in every silo would precipitate. And that could, and I, that's still my wish, that it can lead to some more harmony in the solution finding and better solutions. Yeah, I think what Johnny said is really well put um, in bringing our industry and community together. I know um, it was Johnny who approached me to join this group, and I was really interested because um, as a ship owner, when you're working on managing the underwater condition of the vessels, um, the changes to the biofouling um, content of the paints on the ships had recently changed only in like 2008, 2009 with the banning of tin. And so ship owners are really less left with this blank hole of what kind of product do I put on my ship and paint providers were are sort of scrambling to produce a solution to make it work. And when I started working on this problem, I was, you know, really trying to source solutions and that's actually how I met Johnny is comparing notes and finding oh, am I alone in doing this who's doing what you know how do I manage this better more effectively and I ended up doing quite a lot of progressive work um, for my employer but I wasn't sure what others in the industry were doing so in joining this group I knew that we could share information and compare notes and figure out who is doing what and help to come together to create you know a baseline a standard from which everybody could work together and get on the same page. But also when it comes to biofouling management, what's really interesting is it's often ignored or minimized um, 
by ship owners and operators because there's other more quantifiable ways to measure energy efficiency. For example, we're always looking at, you know, main engines. We can e easily put a main engine in a shop and measure the energy savings by running shop tests on it, or we can make hydrodynamic changes to a ship, changes to the propeller, changes to the bulbous bow, and measure that via CFD analysis or other means and see how much energy savings we're going to get. But when it comes to ships operating in the water, biofouling growth is really an organic process. It's influenced by you know, the exposure to sunlight, to air, the route the ships are operating on, you know, if ships are accidentally or maybe purposefully or unknowingly anchored in a place at the mouth of a river where there's an algae bloom. So it's really hard to measure and quantify this. And yet proper management of the underwater hull surface of a ship can lead to the largest energy savings that you can get um, from caring for your ship or implementing new technologies or practices um, other than switching that ship to an alternative fuel, which would move it to zero emissions. So it's really something we need to know more about um, as an industry and help create a standard and a baseline from which everyone can work from. And we can shift how we're managing our ships and how they're operating in this regard. So as I understand it, this particular TEG was open to any stakeholder, whether they were a member of then NACE or not. What was the importance of having that dynamic? Elizabeth, Johnny, either of you can answer this question. The yeah. importance of that was that we did not want NACE to become, become a silo mm -hmm. where only members can talk. We wanted this group to be open to everybody so that we break down the silos. And why is, well, if we listen to each other, especially if we listen to those that do not agree with you, we learn. If we don't listen, we don't learn. And the more we learn, the better product eventually we can, we can generate. So I think it, it's essential not to force people to be NACE members. And I might add that many have joined afterwards which I'm very pleased. But uh, that was not a requirement for joining the group. And uh, like I said, breaking the silos, make us listen to each other, is the prime objective, not to come to a consensus. Mm -hmm. We might never agree, but that's fine, as long as we understand each other and understand how the other people think and what their main concerns are. We can consider. Recognizing that this is still an active group as we transition to AMP. What's made this a success so far from both of your perspectives? Actually, if you don't mind, then I would like to answer the previous question. Oh, as okay. Well, Go right ahead. Okay. Sorry. Because yeah, um, I think the importance of our work group being open to many stakeholders other than just NACE members is that if you want to innovate, you need to source from the broader industry at large and even sourcing solutions from outside the industry. Um, because if we keep asking the same people um, different questions, we will continually come up with similar answers or the same results. So I think what was really great about opening this group to everybody was that we ended up with so many more opinions, so many more ideas. And you might get members who are supportive of joining AMP, um, either their employer paying the membership or themselves paying the membership. But when you open it to people who just have a general interest in this topic and knowledge, you get a lot more diversity of response. And it really helps to innovate and advance and move things forward. And I think that was really important for us as a group um, as a whole. 
Okay, now we'll move forward to the next question. Sorry for jumping ahead too much in my notes. Um, as far as this still being an active group now that we're transitioning to AMP, what's made this a success and what continues to make it a success? Yeah, I, I'll, I can answer that first and go ahead, but I think it's been the collaboration between all the stakeholders involved in the process. And, you know, coming from a ship owner perspective, usually we're talking with the paint manufacturers and we're asking them, you know, why didn't your paint perform or why aren't you performing more cleanings or what's happening with this on our ship? But coming together as part of this group enabled us to sort of, you know, put down that typical business relationship and say, hey, let's try and solve a common problem together. And for me, that's been really important and a key part of what's made this a success. And I think what's also made this great is to focus on and address areas that were really important. I've been involved in the subgroup or the task group that's writing the standard for underwater hull surface maintenance and repair, or sorry, let me correct that. Um, I've been involved with the group that is doing the dry dock standard for hull surface maintenance and repair. And that's been a really innovative standard because nothing exists right now when people go into dry dock, they usually have their own standard they may bring and say to the shipyard, hey, here's what we want done, or they're just subject to whatever the shipyard does. And I want those who are in dry dock to sort of have a baseline to say to the shipyard, hey, here's a general standard, here's a bare minimum of work that we would like done on our vessel, and it becomes a consistent, transparent standard that's available to everybody to use, and hopefully this will result in a huge amount of fuel savings for the ships operating around the world, and I think that's really important in terms of what, you know, Johnny referred to and what we're all aware of is these IMO standards and our governments and um, non-NGOs putting forward regulations that either they're voluntary or compulsory um, where we need to start hitting emissions targets and they're coming upon us very quickly. Um, 2030 was the first date for a lot of those targets um, with 2020 being our sulfur cap date um, but 2030 is coming quickly and um, we need to hit that solution um, very fast and start rolling out things to solve that problem and this could be a very low hanging fruit to address that. Yeah, in addition to what Elizabeth said, I think uh, the whole process of us not being forced to deliver or agree upon anything brought down the defensive uh, senses around all the silences and opened up a little bit more for, for discussion because we don't have to agree. The only obligation we have is to listen to each other. And I think that's the main benefit of this group. I think that's a very interesting perspective, certainly. As far as what's happening moving forward, tell us a little bit more about how you need to synchronize the technical work that you're doing at now AMP, this particular group, with the similar, but I know sometimes a little bit broader work that's being focused on by some of the other trade groups in shipping. How do you synchronize what this AMP committee, although again, I know the membership is broader, how do you synchronize the work that you're doing with some of the broader initiatives in the industry? Well, I can take that. I think during the discussions, we identify gaps in standardization, for instance, mm -hmm. probably in the future in white papers on various issues. And groups are spun off to take on those tasks within the NACE organization. So I think it's a good way of finding gaps and then addressing them. Elizabeth, is there anything you wanted to add on that? Um, I'm just trying to think. I don't, 
believe so for that one. Okay, that's fine. Um, ben, I'd like to just make a brief comment on that. And from a perspective of, uh, of being a former regulator, um, my, I always thought that an industry solution was always going to be the best. And, mm -hmm. uh, and to me, one of the, the huge values and, and, and the thing that I find the most, that one of the things I'm one of the most proud of um, is the fact that the work that not only the TEG um, group is putting together, but the work of, as Johnny and Elizabeth said, the spinoff work that is done is actually being developed in harmony with some other trade groups so that it becomes a solution that works for the industry across the board. It's harmonized rather than uh, something that's kind of, it becomes compulsory uh, by after waiting for an issue. So, and that's one of the things I think is a huge value. Is there anything that, and I suppose this goes for any of the three of you all, is there any specific initiative that you can point to that's particularly worked, something that's simultaneously, you know, been a fit for what you're doing within this particular technical exchange group, and then, you know, as far as um, the broader work from trade associations and shipping as a whole, are there some specific success stories that you can point to? I, I can think that uh, BIMCO started to develop a health uh, cleaning standard. Okay. In the typical way that organizations do, sitting in one silo and talking between themselves. Through the TEG 532X, in which the leader of the BIMCO group was, was listening into, it, it opens up for conversations between us, and Buddy was deeply involved with this. As we spun off a standard revolution, was actually two of them, uh, the one that Elizabeth was referring to, to her treatment standards, and to the uh, diver template standardized. There was huge uh, interaction between BIMCO and joint reviewing of the documents between members of both working groups. I think this is a template. This is how things should be done. I think everybody benefited from it. Buddy, I think this question is going to be primarily for you. With AMP becoming official, what, January 6th, so we're about six weeks into this. I know the technical program, the purpose and structure of it, all of that is still in the works. How is that process going, the transition, if you will? Uh, it's never as fast as you'd like it to be, of course, but uh, there are a lot of great minds uh, that are looking at AMP's technical program. Um, the formal overseeing body, uh, which is called the Technical Program Committee, uh, and there's also a corresponding research program committee, they've been established and they're ready to go. Um, there's a technical and research integration team um, that is really tasked with getting both of the program committees pointed out in the right direction. Um, and, but essentially, those integra that integration team is looking at what aspects of both NACE and SSPC's former programs align with the desired purpose of AMP's program and then filling in any blanks. Mm -hmm. um, their work is expected to be completed in April and then the two program committees will be put in function to the form. And uh, there are two recommendations right now that the integration team has had approved by the AMP board and those are one, to develop streamlined technical exchanges and workshops for members and stakeholders and two, to establish a discipline structure to regularly report new information to and throughout AMP. 
Now, the best of what you've heard from Elizabeth and Johnny is what is getting engineered into the AMP technical program. As you've heard, robust technical exchange is the critical foundation so any stakeholder can engage with peers and other subject matter experts, both in and outside of AMP. Technical exchange can run the gamut between routine dialogue and purposeful discussion, particularly where there are specific needs identified. And that's where the second part of that recommendation comes into play, getting those needs and information distributed throughout the organization so that AMP will continue to meet industry stakeholder needs in a timely fashion. Right now, we're keeping the existing programs going. Um, there might be some title changes coming down the pike, but the full AMP technical program will undoubtedly grow and expedite the ability of folks to interact on technical needs across the globe. So I encourage you to stay tuned because I'm excited about what I'm seeing and I hope you are. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of exciting things going on. Buddy, Johnny, Elizabeth, as we wrap up this podcast, uh, final question, are there any other thoughts that you all have as far as feedback, how this process is going over the last few weeks? I know we spent a lot of the podcast talking about that, but if there's anything else that you want to add, now is the time. And also, if there's someone listening that wants to learn more or perhaps wants to get more involved, how can they do that? I, I'll pick up real quickly on that. Things are moving extremely quickly, as Elizabeth said. The world is changing more fast than we might realize. We need to listen to each other. We have to share our opinion, and we have to disagree honestly and respectfully. Only then can we find the best solutions going forward. Yeah, I, lo I just always love hearing Johnny say that, um, where he talks about, you know, coming together and agreeing to disagree and respectfully and sharing opinions. I always think of the idea that, you know, it's easy to find people who will fan the flames of your own fire, you know, going door to door to your neighbors and shopping your worries and concerns and they sympathize with you, but it's much harder to go far afield and shop those same concerns and find support. And I think what's been really great about this group is that we've been borderless. We have people joining us from all around the world. We coordinate through different time zones. We talk about different issues. We get people from you know different corners of the industry who have a real genuine passion top talking about this topic and addressing these problems and helping find and source solutions. And as a global community, you know, deep sea shippers are operating around the world. We need to find a solution that applies, you know, from corner to corner and really works for us all. So this work group has just been an absolute pleasure to be a part of. And it's been great um, forming new relationships and making new connections through the work group and hearing different opinions and ideas. Um, and I hope that if anybody's interested, they will reach out um, and join us because, you know, it's um, a really great platform to be involved with. And we're, as Johnny said, we're moving quickly, but we're always happy to have more on board. And I'm going to I'm going to echo that. Uh, I've I've had the honor of being able to kind of observe and participate where I where I could. Um, but just the diversity and the, the scope of the topics and the dialogue really uh, it really helps expand your horizons uh, and for for somebody who thinks they might uh, know everything that they need to know about a particular topic getting involved and just listening uh, and, and, and observing the email exchanges or phone calls observing the type of dialogue and the topics that go across uh, these many many experts can really help help you understand where maybe you 
there are things you need to know uh, and possibly even grow a passion in a new aspect of the industry. So um, I think the more participation, the better. And I encourage anybody who's interested to, to reach out. Well said. Folks, that's where we will leave things on today's episode. And if you want more information beyond what Buddy, Johnny, and Elizabeth just laid out, you can always, of course, check out the AMP website at ampp.org. That's amp.org. Also, if you have not subscribed to this podcast already, or if you haven't left it a five-star review, please do. We're available at Apple, Google, Spotify, and virtually every major podcast distributor. With that, we'll sign off. For Buddy Reams, Johnny Eliason, and Elizabeth Charmley, I'm Ben Dubose. Thanks, as always, for listening, and please come back soon for another new AMP podcast episode.